Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. If we infuse this horrible backward culture with a liberal sensibility, what would it look like? It would look like Disco Daddy Club. Wow. <laughs> That's fucking cool. Yeah. That's really cool. If we infuse this backward culture with a liberal sensibility, yeah. that would look like Disco Dining Club. <laughs> apparently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just came up with that, but apparently. What a fucking way to start this podcast. Yeah. Yo, you want to go? Yeah. Welcome to Weed and Grub, everybody. <laughs> How's Hi. It going? What up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? I'm. So happy. Let's keep going. Do you mind introducing yourself and saying your name and uh, repeating what you just said? Oh, I, I don't know if I can repeat it verbatim, but I am Courtney Nichols. I am the CEO and founder of Disco Dining Club, a theatrical and thematic dinner party series. Ooh. Yes. And we met you uh, glowing in blacklight. You did indeed. Uh, as part of the Nakamura... No, wait. I, I can't say it right. Can you say it? Nakamura K-E is how I say it as... Awesome. The white Jewish girl. Yeah. <laughs> and you run Yomi Saloon. I do run Yomi Saloon. It's a sister bar experience attached to the Glow in the Dark Ramen. Which, by the way, the Glow in the Dark Ramen, fun as fuck. Right. And we didn't want it to end. So when we were being led to your saloon, it was that perfect, like, oh, we could stay here for another three or four hours, just sipping wild drinks and feeling this vibe. That was definitely the intent. Typically, my events, well, they have ranged from anywhere between eight to 20 hours. So I'm all about very much leaning into the environment that you've set yourself up to lean into. So uh, when I learned that Nakamura was a really abbreviated experience, I thought, how do we extend this so that people can really just lean back? Yeah. Wow. And Nakamura, for anyone listening who doesn't know, is a pop-up glow-in-the-dark uh, lumen ramen experience where they right. serve like kind of bioluminescent or... What is it called? It's not technically bioluminescence because that's derived from an animal. Uh, what makes it glow in the dark is a combination of different vitamins uh, that I can't reveal. I had to sign an NDA before I worked with Whoa, it. Whoa, with Bomba and Par? Yeah, Bomba and Par. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to keep guessing until you win. But the thing is, is I can't even tell you even if I knew. I mean, I signed this NDA, but... Yeah, and I probably just, wouldn't recognize that it's like phytocaryoline, beta-philanine... Precisely. But they're all natural ingredients. Or they are what makes tonic glow-in-the-dark. Oh, quinine. Yeah, that's part of it. Yes. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Cool. So it's, yeah, it's this incredible experience that started in Atlanta and then moved, I think, to Charlotte, right? That's where I experienced it the oh, first right. time. Yeah. And then it came to LA. You found out it was coming here. Yes. And you... I was partnered. a partner to bring it out here. I uh, slept, slipped into their DMs and... Slept. Slept into their DMs. <laughs> Freudian slip, slept. Uh, Sizzle. <laughs> uh, and I had learned that they were flirting with the idea of actually going to Sydney. And I sort of swooped in and was like, why don't you go somewhere a little bit more local instead of tracing across the globe? And I had been wanting to work with Yamashira for quite a while because I knew that they were in the process of rebranding, um, bringing in new experiences to this incredible property that a lot of people have had maybe one celebratory experience at in their past, but haven't necessarily revisited. It's so magical. Like it's atop so magical. Like a hill overlooking Hollywood, like right above the Magic Castle with a Buddha statue and fountains and it's incredible. It's Magical. incredible. It's haunted also. Oh. But we can get into that later. Yes. <laughs> uh, but it was just a 
serendipitous moment between them wanting to find the next city on their route, me wanting to work with Yamashiro, me already working in this space of uh, eccentric food and drink experiences. So we just came together and it's been an absolutely lovely marriage. It's so rad. So then we to go backwards to come forwards, yes. how did you carve your own path? Because what you're doing, nobody else is doing. Uh there's a lot of entry points into which I conceived of Disco Dining Club. Uh, on the most basic level, I was in law school for a hot second, and I absolutely despised my life, my career choice. This is such a theme on this podcast. Really? Yeah. It's just like leaning into the thing you think you want and mm -hmm. realizing the thing you want is not this thing. Precisely. I call it a mid-youth crisis, even though mid-20s, but still mid-youth. Uh, and I... It's just... I dreaded waking up each morning. Oh. But my lifestyle before going to law school was very rambunctious. I'm a warehouse kid. I'm very much involved with this underground disco scene that happens here in Los Angeles. So I knew that I had a love affair with the party world, but also I am a hardcore food addict. <laughs> so I wanted to combine those worlds. Uh, and law school was just not fitting into my life or my psyche. So I hosted one party at my house called Opium and Opulence. And I asked everybody to bring a decadent item of choice. And I didn't require dress code, didn't really know what to expect. But this sensational group of characters arrived at my house dressed to the nines like they were going to the Rothschilds realist dinner in the 70s. And it was an Absurdist time, truly absurdist. And I woke up the next morning and sort of sat with it for a while. And I was like, what would this look like if I took it out of my home and into a more private space and had a little bit more resources, accessibility, just more of a concept. And at the more or less same time, I dropped out of law school. <laughs> yes, congrats. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> with, um, with the opulence party, I'm... My initial instinct was like, oh, I'm bringing fudge. Did everyone just bring fudge? Like, how, like what, what, what happened at your home that turns into what could very well be, you know? Opium and opulence. Yeah, yeah. right? There were uh, a lot of weed-centric items purchased and brought. Uh, a lot of magnums of different liquors, uh, whether it be good champagne or like Kirkland-sized gin bottle. Uh, there was caviar, uni, oysters. Ju costume jewelry. This is so yeah. fun. <laughs> and this was a select group of friends? It was a group of friends and then friends of friends. It was, I would say, about 50 or so people. Mm -hmm. uh, then I had a sound artist perform during the dinner, uh, and we projected the 1920s Joan of Arc behind him. I think that's when it was filmed. Uh, and it was just all these moments of oddity. And I, my house is also full of tchotchkes and bizarre knickknacks. And so I, literally the tablescapes were just all these ephemera that I have collected over the past 30 plus years on the table. And I also have uh, full two full life-size stuffed donkeys. God, that's a handful in my house. And they ended up when I woke up the next morning, or like didn't wake up when I like woke up the next afternoon. <laughs> I found the two donkeys up in the top of my magnolia tree. <laughs> you got some good friends. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> good people. I, definitely the definition of odd. To say wow. When when you have something that magical happen that sounds like there are no cameras there possibly so people can be themselves and mm -hmm. you can just connect in the way that you want to connect somewhere how do you transfer that into doing them and bringing in people who should trust you 
with their money. Well, that's really the ethos is that I truly act as hostess. Um, I always consider myself the madam of the Disco Dining Club brothel. Uh, so people, I hope, feel a sense of like safety and camaraderie when they see me when they walk through the doors. And it also provides a sense of context to where you are. I, oftentimes, especially pop-up dinners, there may be a theme, but nobody's really um, advocating or telling you the story or the narrative. It's just mm -hmm. all sort of plopped together in a single space. But having a master or mistress of ceremonies to really take you through the evening is crucial when creating these extraordinary experiences. What was next? What happened after opium and opulence? Uh, then I just she did... got those donkeys down. I, then I got the donkeys. Yeah. <laughs> it took about six months to get the donkeys down. Uh, uh, and then actually, my first one, which mind you, I didn't know that this would take off in the way it did. I knew I wanted to do it in a private space, but I thought maybe it would be a one-off, like it wouldn't evolve into what it became today. Uh, so I just did a generic disco dining club. So really, just about infusing the disco lifestyle at the dinner table. And it took place at Cliff's Edge in Silver Lake. Wow. Okay. Big, big deal. <laughs> yeah. It was... Uh, Did you were... take over the whole place? No, we actually didn't even do a buyout. We just took over the main space inside because at the time... I, I, I didn't have a lot of resources and I thought that maybe it'd be too difficult to convince a restaurant that we were going to take over their main space and you know I just didn't know how all the it, the numbers would work out so I knew that Cliff's Edge doesn't necessarily have the largest draw inside because we want to be in that gorgeous pillowed the Ivy style area uh, so we just had a large table there about 36 guests and no real theme. It was really just disco. And we brought in a DJ. We had a pre-fix uh, menu. And we did specialty cocktails and uh, and poppers for all the guests. Uh, and then also their name tags for the play setting was uh, a mirrored square with their name written in white and then a straw next to it. That's so great. So it was just a little touch of detail. not Nothing too extraordinary, but people really brought their A-game. I mean, they came in gowns and furs and uh couple had sex in the restroom yes great. Now, my dj threw up during the middle of his set from a previous food poisoning not from close edge uh, and but we didn't have a backup dj so i made him play through his set a good friend of mine i mean the whole thing sort of embodied this uh insanity fucking disco yeah fucking disco days of fucking disco yeah exactly uh and then it just continued on its way word of mouth <laughs> word of mouth mostly yeah because it was also for almost five years ago it was before experiential became the buzzword. Mm. You know, people didn't necessarily know that, nor did I know that, that that was the world I was creating. I just knew that I loved to eat and I loved to party. So why not combine those worlds? Mm. Immersive. Immersive. That buzz, buzz, buzzword. That. When I was doing theater in New York, I did an immersive piece, which, you know, and I'm putting air quotes around it because so many things are now billed as that, but it actually was legitimately one of the coolest things I've ever done. We took over this whole old church oh, nice. and it was really great and a wonderful experience. But I think um, there are so many things. There was a really huge, lavish thing that I saw called Queen of the Night, which was sort of a dinner party meets Cirque du oh, Soleil right. experience. Yes. And it was over the top and really interesting as a spectator but I don't think they achieved what they were going for because there wasn't anyone telling the story right it was sort of just things happening around you as you ate lobster and like <laughs> <laughs> I'm not against that no but, but yeah I think what happened for me at, at Yomi's saloon was entering a whole new world mm -hmm. being taken to a different dimension that had such a clear story and being escorted up those rickety old stairs by you yeah. and then sort of like like welcomed into the space and the smells mm. and the 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 lighting and everything it was like t just all five senses are engaged and it was like so fucking cool it's so great 
Yeah. Amazing. It That's must, good to it hear. must feel really, you must feel very full of pride. It, it feels good to create these universes. I, I don't think we've gotten to 100% yet. I mean, Ooh. I have grandiose goals of doing dinners where every inch of the ceiling, including the bathroom ceiling, are covered in the same sort of cloth and, you know, texture as elsewhere, um, down to, you know, what utensils you use. You know, those are things that we, ha- when I conceptualize and when we mood board or whatnot, we have those plans, but it's just a matter of financial resources yeah <laughs> when you say we do you have a team that you work with? Uh, so i'm the I, royal we i guess uh i'm the only full-time employee uh but when i go into pre-production i do bring on a series of fabricators i do have a couple art directors that i work with or videographers i mean it just depends on what the what is needed to realize our goals but i'm the only one you know in my head conceptualizing themes 24 7 and you did like you have no background per se like a, an official sort of training in like theater production or like no. this was all just out, born out of your imagination. Yeah, I mean I went to art school, but liberal arts school, not mm-hmm. fine art. Uh, and then I worked in the music industry for a number of years. Uh, I worked for what was supposed to be the new MTV for electronic music. So I started doing in studio sessions at that time. Obviously, there's no narrative to in studio sessions, but I got obsessed with what it meant to create and curate an incredible crowd. Uh, and what that means so that it translates on camera because uh, you can have the best DJ in the world but if nobody's fucking dancing it just doesn't look good it doesn't feel good either as a guest so I think that's maybe where my obsession started with yeah. how to fill a room with people who just are there to have fun how do you do that do you show a sign that says no assholes allowed or do you like <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it's you're cool you're what's not. the secret you're cool you're cool you're cool honestly and i've been, i've thought about this a lot because we've been you know knock on all the wood but not to distort the sound let's, uh, knock, let's all knock <laughs> okay. ready okay. <laughs> uh we haven't had any people walk through the door that haven't embraced this ideology of um, diversity of rambunctiousness lavishness and i think maybe it's because disco's in the name disco is so off-putting for people who are not liberal and not in that headspace that they don't want to go anyway even if they we have a handful of people who are a little bit more straight laced you know the doctors the lawyers of the world but they are absolutely enamored by my guy jd who comes to every one of the events is always in a thong and they love it and it's not necessarily like the male gaze or just gawking they just kind of embrace that evening and what it means to be that exaggerated self. But I think the term disco really does just, it shies away anybody who doesn't really embrace that, mm-hmm. that sensibility. Yeah, if you're not gonna get down, stay away. Yeah. Nice. So my favorite, well, we've both gone to Life is Beautiful in Vegas. Mm. And it was the first uh, three-day festival I've ever been to where I really lost myself in like the swirl of like a DJ just like, Giving myself over to a DJ yes. is the way to say it. Mm. And uh, I'm pretty addicted to that feeling now because it feels so cleansing when you come out the other side. Mm-hmm. Are you finding people who are walking in with one expectation and walking out of there being like, oh my gosh, and um, all of a sudden I realized something about my past and now <laughs> things are clearer and I feel better. Thank you so much. And da, da, da. I, I think so. I think that uh, a testament to the the sense of euphoria that people embrace is how many people have become couples since meeting at Disco Dining Club or have actually gotten married since meeting at Disco Dining Club or uh, people who I, you know, are used to their 
black suit lifestyle and then mm-hmm. come dressed up in furs and feathers and I've ever had jewels. I've never had less fun than at a charity event. Yes, precisely. The thing that should be celebrating like helping to change the world is the least fun thing to go to. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People are very tense. <laughs> yeah. So clutching their checkbooks. <laughs> yeah. <totally>. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that people um, love tripping at your parties? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I also have found uh, that people who have come in clusters to Yami Saloon while on shrooms have had the time of their life. I bet. Crawling on the floor, the photo shoots they have done on their phones have been absolutely spectacular. They, which makes sense. You know, I wish I could. I wish I could be a guest to my own bar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can you? I was a guest to Ramen the other night, but it was so funny because nobody knew that I was also working the event. So to guide all these people up to the bar right after I ate Ramen casually with them, they, I think they thought that part of the immersive experience is that they also now had to work. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, all right, I'll clock in. Yeah. All right. That's great. How do you design uh, your drink and food experience? Uh, It's based on what the theme of the event is. Uh, My resident mixologist, Happy Hour Agency, who who I partnered with to do Yami Saloon, are my go-tos because they, in their own right, create these really fantastical drink experiences that pair two very different themes. Like they did an event called Chateau Le Splouche, which was French Riviera meets water park. Oh. Uh, so obviously we all come from a similar mindset of playfulness, of, you know, how to make sure that the guest is having the most fun possible. Uh, so they are my resident mixologists and they, once I provide the theme and the sponsors, they then have free reign to create these really thematic, fantastical drinks mm. for our guests. And then food, it's also based on theme. I have a Rolodex of chefs I work with that have certain specialties. Uh, when it comes to something that's a little bit more innocuous, like uh, our Valentine's Day event was called The Ominous Marriage of Cupid and Psyche. And although there was a Grecian edge to it, I wanted it to just be very... Very elevated, uh, formal, so more leaning towards French. And so I use my Chef Laurent, who I've used for a number of events, who is a sole importer for certain cheeses and, you know, can get frog's legs fresh when no one else can. And that that sort of vibe. That oh, really... he's the one I saw in the L.A. River last week? I, totally. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bagging the peepers. <laughs> Down in old frog town. <laughs> Accurate. Accurate. I'd love to see him do that, especially this bald 50-year-old Frenchman. Yes. Uh, uh, but, you know, it really just depends on what the narrative is that we're trying to advocate. Nice. Yeah. Do you know, do you have parts of your childhood that you can pinpoint that led to this? Like, were you the one who was in school leading the brigade towards fun or sitting under your, like, under the cover, cre- like, creating fantasy lands? And, like, hmm. what, where was the start? I think there's two answers to this. So on the more solemn side, uh, my parents have a perfect house for hosting. Uh, We're talking like Mansion on the Hill in Monterey, California. Perfect. Like they could have done some spectacular Great Gatsby-esque parties. They never had anybody over to the house ever, ever. And I think it was a lost opportunity, especially considering that they built a house specifically made for hosting and then never even had a single friend over. So I, I think I did start to fantasize or romanticize a lifestyle in which this house was at full capacity. Uh, but I, I guess when I was young, I never feared adulthood. I always thought the older you get, the more 
lavish it becomes. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because I just grew up on a cinema from the 40s, 50s, 60s. You know, I just always thought that that's the older you get, the more you can do whatever the fuck you want, which is in theory true. Sure. But then I got older and realized that's not really the case or there's not really a lot of experiences that embrace that ethos. So I created the dinner party that I had always fantasized about as a kid, but now as an adult. And when you, this is, oh, how can I ask a question about psychology? Let me let me work it out as I'm saying it. Okay. Um, we, we've been talking, I've been learning a lot about codependency on this podcast um, through talking with guests and Mary Jane. Raging codependents like um, me? <laughs> well, so I, the thing about hosting, I love fucking hosting. I do a show at the Hollywood Improv that is street art, comedy, breakdancing. It's fucking fun. I love hosting, but there are times that I leave that show feeling almost empty and worse and I can't really figure out why because everyone around me is having a wonderful time Mm -hmm. and I don't know where to fill up my pitcher after I give what I is important to me to give Mm. do you ever feel anything like that uh the post-event depression extreme depression oftentimes uh has been about 80 percent alleviated by me doing multiple night events now. That's nice. Yeah, I when I did this one night only big banger and then would wake up the next morning and it felt like it was it happened in a vacuum. It you know, it was just a pinch of salt. I had no idea what happened because you sort of black out from adrenaline plus alcohol plus poppers plus whatever, but <laughs> truly from adrenaline. Uh, <laughs> but and then you also wake up with notes for yourself. You know, you're like, this I could have done X, Y, and Z better, but you just don't have the opportunity to. So doing the multiple night structure now leading into the six week long, uh, it just allowed me to refine and allowed me to have more actual memory. And memory has been huge for me getting out of that post event funk. Yeah, because you're not hanging your hat on mm. every moment of that one shot. Precisely. That's a really cool way to think of it. Hmm. So what is it? Is it the third one? Is it the third day where you're like, I think this is it? I think I nailed it? <laughs> I mean, third, there's a lot of exhaustion to it. I, I do think the second night is... Well, no, let's go with the third. Because by that time, all your staff, all your actors, they know exactly what they're in for. There's no real wiggle room for error it it just it's really succinct and refined and i wake up the next day just uh, having a clear memory of every second which is feels damn good Mm. actors okay i've moved here from chicago where the only immersive theater unless i was creating it was this thing called tony and tina's wedding Mm, where it's right you know it (laughs) of course yeah famous when you say actors the only thing i'm thinking about is when i was peeing in the bathroom and this guy playing a drunk groomsman comes in he's like and i'm like what is this i don't want to engage yo i got things like (laughs) you know (laughs) drop it for a second what are you talking about that you have actors uh so we started utilizing immersive theater troops about three years ago. Our first event being a Blade Runner themed dinner. It's funny how I've circled back to Blacklight, but a Blade Runner themed dinner at the Standard for New Year's where Holy we had uh, replicants walk around the table and pull you out of your seat and take you up to a suite and then quiz you whether you were human or replicant. Yeah. My arm hair barometer is like, <laughs> wow. Uh, and ever since then, I, I love atmospheric actors. That's how it's different from the drunk groomsman in the restroom. There's really no dialogue, and whatever dialogue the actor is saying to you, it's as if they're your friend. It's not staged. They're just in this world as if we had just transported them from, you know, Grecian Cuban and Psyche or from 
uh, Fabergé and just plop them in the middle of the dinner and allow them to just be free. Fucking cool. <laughs> and so they, you're like, you just give yourself over to going upstairs mm-hmm. with this stranger mm-hmm. and then becoming a part of Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Yes, precisely. It sounds absolutely incredible. Thanks. <laughs> but you don't start there. That's not like, like what was the name of the Valentine's Day one? Like, Ominous Marriage of Cupid and Psyche. That couldn't have been first draft. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, so the, uh, I will always name my dinners in that sort of fantastical way. We Our first one was last October we did, uh, oh my God, The Flowering of the Strange Orchid, which was based on an H.G. Wells short story about a orchid that comes to life. And there was something to be said about the word strange in that title because that's what asks the question, what is this? What makes it strange? And so moving forward with the ominous marriage, it couldn't just be the marriage of Cupid and Psyche. The ominous is like, well, what makes it ominous? Now I want to go to this event because I want to know why that adjective is being used to describe the larger picture. Um, what's your snack game like? Oh, yeah. It's my snack game. Well, popcorn is my number one snack of choice. Uh also, maybe because I'm obsessed with movie culture. Mm-hmm. I go to the movies a lot. I go to the movies. It's important yes. for me to go to the movies. <laughs> I have like a map of my favorite popcorn in LA from different movie theaters. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, let's break it down because I've the... got a couple faves myself. Really? Yeah. I, I really like Century City AMC popcorn. It's a nice popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the kernels are full. Yes. And I, and I know like some of the heads of Arclight, but whatever. Their popcorn sucks. Oh! <laughs> But you can drink wine in the theater. Yeah, you can. And also, their caramel corn is really good, but they're just standard popcorn. I'm more of a salty person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't drizzle so much. It drown. They drown the corn. Yeah. <laughs> do you know the Do you know the butter trick? Oh no. Where you put a straw on the you know the butter machine. Do you like the fake butter? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. So <laughs> if you put a straw on the nozzle and you actually plunge the straw into your bag and then press the nozzle and then pull the straw oh, out, you can butter it from the bottom up. <laughs> I've learned something today. Thank God. <laughs> it's a good one. Don't let like the concessions people catch you because they fucking hate it, but it's the best. Okay. Uh-huh. And it, that, would that work with a paper straw? That no. wouldn't work, right? No, that would melt that paper straw. You need to bring your own damn straw. Bring Yeah, bring a, uh, what are those forever straws? Final straw. Bring a final straw yeah. for the popcorn tray. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favorite popcorns, surprisingly, I didn't think so, was the Grove. I think oh, it's right. a great popcorn. It is a good Grove popcorn, yes. Theater. Agreed. Yeah, all the AMC's got it pretty on lock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you as a cinephile what is happening in movies right now that you like? Did you see Midsummer? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I... I, I so jovial afterwards. It was such a movie of redemption. Yeah, I saw it twice. Yeah, it's so good. I might go back. Yeah. I, I felt the same way after I saw The Witch, where I was like, yes, like one of the few times I feel like really like, I don't know, like a full woman. Yeah. <laughs> will you see The Nightingale? Yes, I will. Yeah, I'm scared. I did you see the preview for The Lighthouse? Not that that has anything to be I, yes. female, but it's just also, William Defoe will. Yeah. William Defoe in anything. Chewing the fucking scenery like, nyang, 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 nyang. <laughs> And who is it in the movie with him? Is it Jake Gyllenhaal? And Robert Pattinson. Oh, yeah. Trying to keep up. I mean, we'll see. I know. God love him. <laughs> Probably do a lot of close-ups of his eyes. Yeah. God love him for trying. No, I actually, I, I think Robert Pattinson is like quite a good, it's always surprising. To, and I, you know, I feel like so condescending. When, um, he's quite a fine young actor. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. No, it's all right. I took a cheap shot and you're, you know, but it was easy Willem, for me to say something dumb. Like Willem Defoe, what's the crazy fucking Lars von Trier one that he um, oh where his dick gets smashed by the rock yeah oh yeah what the fuck um, um, Antichrist yes yeah so he's, good he's just willing to like <laughs> literally do anything yeah it's amazing 
Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, the most recent, uh, what's his name? The guy who did Antichrist, his most recent film. The one that's, Yeah, that's about uh, the serial killer. What, what's oh. that film that came out? It's like brutal. It's like four hours long. Oh. And I went to a screening of it in Hollywood on a rooftop where it was a silent screening, so you had to wear the headphones. Oh, no. And it was really a bizarre moment because it was so like food truck and cheap red wine and headphones and you're watching this four hour movie of like brutal murder and rape and it was just it was bizarre maybe that one wasn't good to see in a, in a movie theater maybe yeah. that was a solo experience <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Wouldn't, that wouldn't hold weight at a forever cemetery totally that's exactly that's yeah. exactly there's somewhere I'd like you need to hold your toes yeah. and cry yeah. <laughs> like, um, why did you like you both like Midsummer? well on a very superficial level uh, I I'm deeply obsessed with anything that is labeled a horror, but it mostly takes place during the daytime. Mm-hmm. Uh, visually, just absolutely stunning to me. Also, I work a lot, not to circle back to Disco Dawn Club, but I work, one of my art directors is an expert in fake florals. And so I work a lot with really, um, like the large suit that she wears at the end, or the gown rather, that is Disco Dying Club incarnate in terms of aesthetic. Like that is everything. Cool. Uh, Fucking cool. Look at my arm hairs, yeah. they're all popping off. <laughs> Uh, so in terms of just visually, I it just nailed it for me. But the sense of redemption and the sense of um, innate cruelty for her to be redeemed is just, I, just, I, I it's a sense of empowerment from it. I can't even explain it. It's I, fucking thrilling. Yeah. yeah. And also their, um, the detail when it came to psychedelia, and uh, which was amazing. I, you know, whether it be cocaine to acid, movies, interpretations... Of it are just so extreme. Like you do one line of cocaine, next thing you know it, you're, you know, blowing up the moon. Like you know, it's just it's absurd. Uh, so I love the subtleties. It was just it was exactly what it feels like to be on shrooms in a pile of grass. Uh, on the on the drug tip yes. and on the disco dining club tip. Um, how many people are walking in there being like, all right, my first sex party. Let's like let's get it going. Uh- <laughs> Well, at the ominous marriage of Cupid and Psyche, that was a lot more apparent because one of our sponsors was Doc Johnson Sex Toys. Love them. And so upon entry, we were providing or selling, depending on what you wanted, uh, butt plugs and, you know, vibrators for your tongue. So it was very, it was apparent. You know, there was no, um, I was we're not hiding it in any way. But there is that sense that people do think. I, mean, I also think that because of the price point, people just assume that you're getting yourself into an orgy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's funny when they walk in and it's not that. No, it, yeah. It's a lot sillier. You know, I, I there's a, a playfulness, also a sloppiness to Disco Dining Club because really I'm trying to take the formality out of food uh, and just a sense of humor to everything I do. Because what's the point if you're not laughing? And, you know, maybe an orgy where everybody does laugh would be fucking incredible. Oh, like nitrous I- is being poured <laughs> yeah. through the vents? Oh, yeah. yeah. That sounds great. A nitrous sex party? Yeah, yeah. that would be amazing. Let's, yes. uh, Burning Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Truth. Truth. Well, I thought of it also. <laughs> I've never been there. <laughs> Can we ask before we wrap, we want to, I have to know what you have coming up. Like what are some of the things you're working on? We have about six or so dinners in the pipeline. Next year in February is our five year anniversary. So we're gearing up for a slew of very outlandish events. But uh, for the rest of the year into January, we're doing a Medusa themed dinner where we are rewriting her narrative as if she had never been cursed. 
Uh, we're doing an Oscar Wilde themed dinner based on a book of his, but I won't reveal too much information. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, I'm doing a pep rally edition dinner at the basketball court of the Los Angeles Athletic Club. Whoa. Yes. So, you know, highbrow, lowbrow. All fun. All about it. Uh, I'm so glad you're not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Oh my God. Holy cow. Uh, my final question is can you just like give a rundown of some of the food we bear we didn't scratch the surface on some of the food and this is a podcast where we talk a lot about food right what are some of your favorite dishes that have just you know and or weed pairings yeah if you have any so for those with a sweet tooth our most recent weed event was called the dreamery and it was inspired by a 1950s candy shop but we filled a table upon entry with over i would say 60 to 70 cakes so much so that there wasn't even space in between the cakes and really playing off the concept of getting sugar high which was spectacular because at one point there was a woman at the table with her eyes rolled back in her head. And I went up to her thinking that maybe she needed some CBD to even herself out. Come to find out she had not smoked or ate in any weed. It was literally because she had had too much cake. So for the sweet tooth, but for That's on the great. more savory end, uh, oh my gosh, let me backtrack. We. I mean, Usually our meals are about eight to 12 courses and they have paired cocktails with them. Uh, so with the flowering of the strange orchid, each of our dishes definitely had a floral edge to them. And then our, and then I also worked with, oh my God, this is a good one. I worked with Bugable, who this woman is on a lifelong mission to make crickets and cockroaches and everything in between um, more consumable and accessible. So I worked with this top tier French chef, these amazing mixologists, and then Bugable came in and we did bug pairings for each of the dishes. Whoa. Yes. Not you didn't have to. It was, you know, optional, obviously. But yeah. a lot of people indulged. Yeah, do it. Yeah, you should do. I mean, we all eat like a pound of bugs every year without knowing it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Ooh, like a big crispy cockroach, crunch, mm. crunch, crunch. Or like a fried spider or something that, like that. Oh, a fried spider sounds amazing, actually. That's really, really cool. <laughs> All right, great. Yeah. <laughs> well, two of us like it. Can you it. imagine if I said that's what my favorite snack was, fried spiders? <laughs> <laughs> You're in the movie theater, just... <laughs> fried spiders. Anyone? No? For, yeah. More for me. <laughs> Fuck yes. Um, let's do plugs. Okay. Please tell everyone where they can find you because everyone should be fucking with you. Uh, www.discodiningclub.com as well as on Instagram and Facebook, Disco Dining Club. But they can also reach out to me directly, contact at discodiningclub.com. And if someone had an idea for an event and they wanted to hire you, is that something? That is completely possible. About 70% of my events are open to the public ticketed and then I do 30% private or brand collaborations you must be so fucking busy i am yeah that's a good thing that's amazing <laughs> yeah yeah thank you so much for being thank here thank you this is amazing so great to meet you yeah. so great to i can't wait to see what you're up to next and to come to some of your fabulous events hell yes wear cool things and eat fried spiders there you go yeah. your arm hair is just going to be up all night long your arm hair is going to be exhausted <laughs> I'm be in a constant state of coming yeah. <laughs> just like goal achieved you're like is she okay yeah. she's just coming <laughs> If you want to find us, you can find us at Weed and Grub on Instagram or Twitter, weedandgrub.com. Give us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Slide into Mary Jane's DMs with a whisk pick. Leave me a whisk pick. There you go. And uh, thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye.